everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Label Me Podcast. Today I have a very special guest that I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, Jess Matos is a Dominican-American from New York who is currently a product creative producer at Netflix in Los Angeles, as well as everyone's favorite Tia. Today, we will be talking all about how Jess labels herself every day and shows up authentically in and out of the corporate world. So, without further ado, hi Jess! Karen! I mean, obviously, same. Like, love you so much. It's ridiculous. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here to talk about authenticity, late, all the things, all the freaking things. I'll start with a little bit of my origin story, um, my background, and also obviously how I got to LA because that in and of itself was a journey. <laughs> so as you mentioned so eloquently, uh, I'm Dominican American, first gen kid, which I feel like a lot of folks listening can relate to, and grew up in New York, in the Bronx specifically, with an amazing family, cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, par- like all the things. Growing up in New York is is a unique experience for sure. I think it builds a different kind of character than any other place in the world. And so I'm very grateful for that experience. But also being a first gen kid, being in between two worlds and two cultures, right? So I was American at school, but Dominican at home. Or, you know, when kids would go to summer camp in the summer, I would be going back to DR to be with my cousins. And so that also, I think, has shaped me in a different way because I never felt more one or the other. I truly, truly felt like I was living both worlds equally. So I'm very grateful for that experience, being a first-gen kid for sure. Yeah. I got my start in tech kind of by accident, if I'm being honest. I love that. (laughs) It was like, oh, okay. Well, I fell into it, which I think for most black and brown folks is kind of the thing where you just kind of fall into it sometimes. I think now obviously with different, you know, like it's like, oh yeah, I tried this thing and years later, here I am which I think is different now where you have like more dedicated college programs or internships and things like that. But back in circa, was that 2009, 2010, when I had graduated, it really was just like a leap of faith. I was an assistant to a publisher at Vibe Magazine. And that was a great time because I got to learn about advertising, like physical print magazines, RIP to the print industry. But like, that was my first actual start. Barely hanging on. I know, but you know, I don't know about you, but I love physical magazines and books. Yeah, so much appreciation for them. It's just, I don't know, it's just something different. And obviously being on Zoom calls all day, it's nice to have an eye break with, you know, printed text. So fell into kind of the advertising game and then really started learning a lot from one of my great mentors, Esmeralda Cruz, who kind of took me under her wing and like started teaching me about ad operations and advertising on the internet and impressions and optimization and budgets and a whole new world for sure. And I did that pretty much up until very recently when I switched roles. (laughs) I can't say that I like always knew I loved technology. I just fell into it and realized that I was good and realized that tech paid well. So I just kept going after different roles, uh, different learning. Follow the money, honey. You got into it. (laughs) Pay me, please. Um, So I just kept going after the bag for sure. But I, I will say in addition to going after the bag, I was also going after the experience and what I was gonna be able to learn. I was at a company actually that wasn't able to teach me how to traffic or like actually like work within an ad server. So I got a job somewhere else that was willing to teach me and train me. So those kinds of things have definitely helped me along my career. And so in 2017, that's when kind of like the Netflix journey started. And I got a job on the ad operations team 
which was a breath of fresh air to be able to be still within AdOps, but on the client side and uh, just be able to learn, you know, about so many different things, different tools, uh, different, like being able to essentially be on the side that holds the purse strings, if that makes sense, and really understand like, oh, wow, this is why maybe clients sometimes are crazy or, <laughs> or wow, this is actually how we think about campaign strategy and how we're going to spend our money and all of that. So that was great. Yeah. And that's actually when we met too. Yes, that is when we met. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Precious moment. Feels, feels like forever ago. Um, <laughs> and then wanting to really flex into kind of uh, project management, which wasn't something at the time that I knew it was. It was just like, I feel like I could do this job. And so I went after the campaign operations role, which you and I know very well, being on the same team for a bit. And so that really allowed me to like click into more of my strategy brain in a different way and think about like how I manage cross-functional relationships. How do I navigate like risk mitigation and all of these different things, but also very high energy, as you know, Yeah. and like fast paced. And so I think the New Yorker me really thrived off of that because it allowed me to like tap into the like, okay, you can do this, you can pivot fast. Yeah, I also feel like it was, it was you also using the New Yorker in you tied with you leaning into like curiosity and candor and just the willingness to be like, what is this world all about? I can do it and I will. A hundred percent. And no regrets. I'm so glad that I was able to just be like, you know what? I don't know, but I know. So let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and grateful for, you know, the managers at that time, like taking, you know, a bet on me as well and being able to see the potential because there was a lot that I didn't know. And I'm grateful for their guidance uh, and their mentorship to like get me up to speed and like really pour into me in a different way. And then <laughs> it wasn't until 2020, everyone's favorite year, that things kind of came to like a real halt for me. And I, in a lot of different ways. So at the beginning of the pandemic, March, 2020, I joined an accountability group with a dear friend of mine and obviously of yours too, uh, Marlise, yeah. who started an accountability group really focused on social media, which I know sounds crazy, but it was really about like, how do we grow our social following? And that could be from anything from personal, like maybe you just want to beef up your personal IG to maybe something that you have on the business end, maybe you're selling a product. Um, and I had been sitting with at the Thea Chronicles on Instagram for probably at least a year. And it was just this little, you know, page with like, it looked like a Russian bot. It was very like, <laughs> who knows what it like. It, it was just nothing, literally zero followers, just everything, no icon, nothing. Um, and it wasn't until I joined that accountability group that I like started logo exploration and actually like was thinking about content and properly launched it, which was really nice to just be able to like have that and see it through and kind of get over the like, what if it's not good or what if people don't like it and get over myself essentially. <laughs> um, yeah. And just to have that space, I can only imagine of support with other women who are also driven and want to put whatever it is out there more, whether it's their business or themselves. A hundred percent. And I think what helped me a lot too, was that I didn't anchor it on like an end goal, like a monetary goal or anything like that. I really was just allowing myself to pour into this because it was fun for me and I enjoyed it and really pour into it from a place of love as opposed to like being super type A and like, all right, like, you know, how, how much are you going to get about X and thinking about, and of course there were data insights and things that I looked at to observe like, oh, people really like this type of content or people maybe navigate a little bit less to this type of stuff. But not putting that amount of pressure on myself to like hit a particular benchmark every time and just like being more natural with it. 
And that was great. And at that time I was still doing um, a lot of project management. And so it allowed me to kind of like have a creative outlet because in my day-to-day role, I didn't have that. And then in August of 2020, I went back to New York because I hadn't seen the family. And I had a, like probably one of the worst anxiety attacks that I've had ever. And I just assumed it was because I was burnt out. I was gonna take three weeks off, I'd be okay. The three weeks came and went and I still wasn't okay. <laughs> I was definitely well rested, but I was not okay. And it, it finally forced me to have some really hard conversations with myself about what I really wanted in my career, for my personal life, like all, all of the, you know, kind of eat, pray, love type questions. And that's when I admitted to myself, like, you want to be in a more creative role. Like, you want to get paid to be creative, not just like as a side hustle. And that was scary to admit. <laughs> well, I can't even imagine. And it's also realizing that like a lot of people don't ever get to that realization right and a lot of people just live through that struggle constantly throughout their career so it's very brave of you to to get to that point where you realize that that you wanted that and that it could be a possibility so proud of you for that first of all (laughs) and second of all I'd love for you to just speak more on how you got to that point like what led to that really and how you found peace with it too, because I know how much of a struggle that can be as someone who is also personally very creative and very, uh, you know, I'm using both sides of my brain here, left and right. And so balancing that too, when you have a job that maybe is more left brain versus wanting to do more of your right brain stuff and just balancing all of that out. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. um, You know, it was really the deep work of what is it about, excuse me, what is it about your day-to-day that has you like so unfulfilled? And just that acknowledgement that it wasn't that, I mean, yes, the work was hard, but it wasn't me shying away from hard work. It wasn't due to my, uh, any lack of ability. Like I knew I could do it. I knew that the work would be hard, but I also knew I could step up to the challenge, but I wasn't fulfilled. And it was a hard realization for me to like properly acknowledge because being first generation, I never learned that you were supposed to enjoy your job. (laughs) It was very much so like you get good grades in school, you go to a good college, you get a good job and that's it. (laughs) And so there was no blueprint on, you know, this is the type of job you should get or, I mean, and roughly, right? Like it was like a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, that kind of thing. But it really was about doing or being able to access more of the opportunities that my parents, you know, and the older people in my family never had. So I realized, Um, that I could get paid a good bag and be fulfilled. Who knew? (laughs) Um, And again, it's just something that I I didn't grow up knowing within my family unit for sure. But even with like my surroundings, it was was just very much like very heavy grind culture and very heavy like you're happy to be here, you work hard, you get good money, but that's it. In terms of like being fulfilled, that just was not a concept that I had available to me growing up as a kid. So then fast forward growing up growing up as an adult, it became more uncomfortable for me because I'm like, what do you mean like fulfillment? Like you should just be happy with your paycheck. What like why like why isn't that enough? And that was the hardest realization for me. Um, and then working in high performance culture throughout all of my career, being able to admit to myself that like, yo, I want to be a creative, but feeling really intimidated by that because I know people similarly to you that have like 
gone to school to be designers or gotten art degrees or have worked, you know, in the industry for two decades. And I'm like, I'm not a creative. I can't. I felt like a fraud saying that out loud. How do I call myself a creative if all these people have these accolades and so on? A hundred percent. It's the same thing like when uh, like when you and I were able to do like comedy shows and stuff. Right. It's like I do comedy shows, but I'm not a comedian. Am I? I don't know. Like it's it's all about labels. Right. Like it's very interesting. Like the labels we're open to um, kind of pouring into or accepting for ourselves and the ones that we're not because of imposter syndrome or other things like that. So when I came to that realization, I said to myself, well, I want this to happen within my current company because I love it here. But if not, there are other avenues for me to explore. And I think that piece for me was very grounding because it um, it allowed me to not be committed to the golden handcuffs. I think a lot of times underrepresented folks at big companies with a big bag or whatever that looks like, you don't feel like you can leave. You don't feel like you can raise your hand and switch and pivot to another role because it's like, are you crazy? Like who, who would ever leave a place like this? But yes. I, I came to the realization that like no amount of money is worth me not being fulfilled and not really living in my purpose or figuring out like what I want my next career trajectory to be. Um, So either way in my mind, it's like I had a plan and it was very scary talking to my management chain about this because I had been on the same team for three years was doing relatively well. I'd like to think. (laughs) And um, and then to say, Hey, (laughs) doing great. Right. (laughs) Um, And then to raise my hand and be like, actually, here's what I want. Um, But in true uh, New Yorker fashion, before um, I went even deeper into the like, hey, this is what I want to do. I did a lot of exploration of what that looked like within the business and then also figured out what that looked like outside of the business. So I was having one-on-one calls with folks that I knew owned their own production companies. I was having calls with art directors. I was having like really just tapping in and figuring out like, so tell me about your job. And really taking notes and identifying like, oh, this part of their job seems really cool. That part, mm, not so much. And like, and not looking for the perfect role because there's always going to be something about your role that maybe you don't like fully love, but trying to find that balance of like the majority of this role seems dope. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm willing to deal with that like 10%, like whatever, to have that like 90%, you know, fulfillment or knowledge opportunity, et cetera. So yeah, that's, that's how I, I've been working towards uh, giving myself permission. I said to someone, if I had to give 2020 a word, it would be permission. Because ironically, I didn't have permission to do any of the things that normally distract me, like going to brunch and traveling and all that other stuff that it forced me to give myself permission to lean into the things that deep down I've always wanted but have been too afraid to embrace. Well, first of all, that's so powerful. And I think it really speaks to a lot of things, mainly the three things that you really touched on that a lot of people don't realize is, A, the first gen experience has so much weight on it and so much pressure. And, you know, when we step into the office every day and we don't speak up in certain scenarios or we hesitate and we stop ourselves, that is part of the first gen experience that goes over people's head. Two, you also took the opportunity to stop, stop down. You know, you took those three weeks off. You like took the time to really reflect and think about what you wanted, which I feel a lot of people never get to. Like I'll I'll say it again and again. I think a lot of 
what needs to be done for personal growth is taking time to stop down and reflect. And 2020 did that for a lot of us, right? Like 2020 stopped us in our tracks. Uh, But how many people actually took the opportunity to say like, what's happening here for me? And, and again, you said you gave yourself permission, which is really huge as, as a first gen, as you know, a child of immigrants to give yourself permission is such it's, a huge uh, step. There are moments where, thank God for therapy, there are moments where I... I <laughs> Shout out to therapy. Like legit. Um, I almost like go backwards because I'm like, oh, like I'm asking for too much or I'm, you know, or I'm being too insistent or whatever the case is and reminding myself that like, no, like take up space. Uh, especially in a world that doesn't want me to take up space, like, <laughs> which sounds really pessimistic. But when you think about a lot of, you know, it's the truth based on a, it's it's not set up for folks like you and I to be where we are, to be able to uh, own homes, work at, you know, big corporate companies, um, explore their creative component, be advocates for social justice. Like there, there's no, you know, it's, it's, it's all of those things that really have had me reflecting. And the the additional piece to that um, in terms of like that leap of faith was being open to a creative opportunity, not being in the US, which is yeah. also very big. And, you know, taking on an opportunity to move to Mexico City and what does that look like? And having really candid conversations like, hey, so yes, I'm Latina, but I'm always gonna be a black woman first. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that will always be the case. Like you could drop me in the middle of France. I'm a black woman and proudly, right? Like that's not something that I would change for anything. But I think that's something that folks just don't think about all the time <laughs> and yeah. how our lived experiences are not monoliths. Blackness is not a monolith. You know, being a woman is not a monolith. Like there's so many things that like are nuanced and layered and being able to uh candidly have those conversations with folks of like, hey, so this is all dope, but have you thought about the fact that I might be one of very few Black people in this space? What does that look like? Very differently from how it looks like in the U.S. Um, and, you know, and and being able to go to um, a market where I'm learning about what it is to live there and work there and, you know, and the culture in a very different way. Um, so it's exciting and scary, but more exciting than anything else (laughs) yeah it's a huge opportunity and again like you acknowledging that this is a bold thing for you to do personally is what makes other people on the outside be like she's amazing because she's taking this risk and it's not even it's the risk of like you know leaving your comfort zone and stepping into this new world and everything that you've spoken up to till now so kudos to you but I'd also love to know how you're taking that energy into your new role as a creative producer uh, on product and also how you're like driving into Tia Chronicles headfirst and you're just running with what we should not be calling side hustles. That's the other thing that annoys me. Stop calling it a side hustle. This is my project. Like, this is not some cute little thing I do on the weekends. And that's okay, too. Like, it's okay for me to do both. A hundred percent. I'm so glad you asked that. So I think the biggest thing about like side hustle and grind culture and all of that is like, it's ingrained in us already as first gen kids, as underrepresented groups, insert all the things that I'm always going to have to work harder or 10 times harder than, you know, than a man, than a white man, than a white woman. And so 
that in a it's, a it's a survival technique right because our parents are like yo you're always gonna have to work harder so from jump you know that and so your bar is super duper high but then on the flip side it almost kind of puts you in this box of like the only way to be successful is if I basically work myself to the bone <laughs> and like you said like side hustles and this and that and having multiple jobs and you know you work your nine to five and then you're five to nine and now in my 30s I'm like that's silly no and I think really leaning into the fact that rest is not a luxury. It's a requirement for like, like human beings. Um, I follow this great account at the nap ministry um, on Twitter and Instagram. And they really are about like rest is your human right, which, which might sound crazy to someone from the outside in who's like, duh, doesn't everyone know that? But not when you're conditioned to always go, go, go grind, grind, grind. And like, making it really hard. So I'm really learning and like actively going on this journey of what does it look like to have hobbies? Which might sound crazy to anyone listening because it's like, duh, everyone has hobbies. But like, I remember having a conversation with a coworker one day and I was like, oh, you know, what are you doing for the weekend? And they're like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, take some time and knit. And my immediate reaction from him was, oh, cool, so you sell sweaters. And the person was like, no, I just knit. And I kid you not, I literally sat there and was like, so you spend time and money to knit just because it makes you happy? <laughs> like my brain was, I was. You were not getting from A to Z. You were like, you knit. For why? For what? <laughs> like, help me understand. And it was such an eye-opening moment for me, though, because it was like, yeah, what a concept that you don't have to be constantly producing, which I think is another thing that's ingrained in us you know, as underrepresented people, definitely as black people, like you, you always have to produce, right? Um, and as a, as a proud Thea, I like to remind my nieces and nephews, like you can just enjoy doing a thing just to do it. You wanna draw some anime? I'm not expecting you to be the first black anime creator that, like, that gets an overall deal somewhere. Like just draw your anime, right? Or you like to make beats, just make beats. That doesn't mean you have to be a music producer. And I, and I think it's, it's such a fascinating thing of like, you can just have things you enjoy and do them because you enjoy them. And that's it. That's the end goal. And so in the moments with the Chronicles where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm nervous. I'm about to put this out. I'm not really sure. I remind myself that like, it really is a space of love. And uh, I, I say in the, in the bio, it's a love letter to all the Thea's aunties and Thesis in the world, because those are individuals that in my life really heavily influenced me. And I have the blessing of being able to be a Thea to my nieces and nephews. And so like just being able to talk about that in a way that I hadn't seen before. And and so maybe kind of selfishly, I was like, this is kind of about me and I'm gonna just talk my shit. <laughs> um, but but being able to see like how people engage with the content or like like side stories that I hear makes me feel good. <laughs> I love that. And just for anyone who isn't familiar, I obviously follow the Tia Chronicles and you know me, like we are two very proud aunties. Um, what kind of content can people expect to see there for those who are unfamiliar? Yeah, that's such a great, a great question. Um, at, when I hit 500 followers, which for anyone listening, you know, that might be like 500, like there are pages that have 5 million, right? But for me, that was a big deal because almost a year ago I had zero, like I had nothing. Yeah. So it, it is like a, a benchmark that I'm, I'm very proud of, but also like very grateful for, you know, because Folks literally could be following anyone else in the world and they have decided to follow me. So I'm grateful for that. It's a mix of 
humor, a lot of like comedic undertones or like the things that you know you experience with your aunts, your cousins, your mom. Um, there's of course an educational component, like being able to talk about like your sexuality as a woman, being able to talk about, you know, undoing like maybe some really toxic things you learned as a kid about insert the blank, right? A hell of a lot of we don't do anti-blackness here. Um, and that for me is a, is a huge piece of importance in my life because you know, my family being black, be, like, and it's so interesting because we're in this world where like, you're Dominican. So you're just, and growing up that, that was what it was, right? Like you're just Dominican. And so there was no like reinforcement of blackness, if you will. It's like, it was something that we all knew, but never really talked about. Sure. And so me unpacking with my own family, like I have great aunts now that like I've interviewed, um, I haven't posted some of this stuff yet, but spoiler alert. And I've asked them about like, so do you see yourself as a black person or growing up? Did you experience anti-racism and like all of these things? And so uh, it, it's a huge personal important piece for me. And then also navigating all insert anti insert anything, right? Like all the things that I think sometimes growing up we saw and maybe didn't know how to articulate or we saw and now as an adult, I'm able to go back with my family and have really like uncomfortable or hard conversations about. And then also just celebrating like images and content from other dope women that we just don't often get to see and giving folks their flowers, you know? It's like being able to like celebrate Corinne and the label podcast, being able to, you know, celebrate Marlies and the working remotely and like just being able to like, showcase the actual images of people that we often don't see because the world is not made for us and we're shaking that shit up <laughs> I love that I support it I mean obviously always but I think that was also my goal here was to like create this space to talk about authenticity in women and people that you wouldn't normally see on a podcast or in an interview so I think it's totally 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 important and I love the gamut of things that you cover on Tia Chronicles because honestly you even talking through it it was like sex topics the depth of history meets today and like following all of those things I think is super important because you're right there isn't a platform for that anywhere and so just really grateful that you're bringing that to the surface. Thank you. And also like for me, because I will admit, I'm not the wokest of the woke, right? Like I, I'm learning something new every day, right? Like I'm undoing, you know, beliefs or things that I learned as a kid every single day, whether it's through reading or watching stuff or whatever that looks like. So I'm also always finding the like comedic undertones because it's one of those things where it's just like, can you fucking believe like, wow. Right. And like being mm -hmm. able to just give space to laughter because I, I feel like if it's one thing about black and brown folks, we will la we will find a way to laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> we'll find a way to laugh. We'll find a way to bring humor. Like, and I don't know if that's a, a, a consequence of having to be so resilient, you know, in a lot of our histories. But sure. it's it's important for me to have that. Um, So whether it's in the captions or whether it's in something like a video I post, like I always want to make sure there's like a comedic layer to it um because sometimes the crazy shit in the world you really just gotta laugh <laughs> um but then also being able to supply and ask for resources on how to get better educated or where where can you go to learn about x um did you know about a thing i had posted um february 9th was the anniversary of um the abolition of slavery in the dominican republic from spain and hugely in part due to haiti and it's so interesting because as a kid growing up 
I learned that uh, February 27th, which is coming up, was our Independence Day. And wow. so really learning that like, oh crap, what I thought was our Independence Day is actually really heavily rooted in anti-Blackness. And so like this year for me, I'm opting out of celebrating Independence Day. And I, instead, I'm going to take the month, the year, you know, there's no timeline, but like take this time to really learn a lot of the hard truths of our history and even the hard truths of today in, you know, my parents' home country that I'm still very closely tied to. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I love that you speak to wokeness too, because I feel like it's not necessary. I don't know why I have this disdain with like the word woke. Cause I'm like, let's just care more, you know, <laughs> but you're right. It's taking the time to be like, Oh shit, that is not something I should be celebrating and I don't want to anymore moving forward. And that's okay. Like the reflection there is so beautiful and so important. And it's, I love that you talked about the word woke a little bit more because I also know, speaking of additional imposter syndrome, when I think of like the most woke people, I'm like, these are academics. These are people on the front lines of social justice. Like they know the things. And I'm like, activists. Legit. And I'm like, in comparison to them, yeah, I'm asleep. I am not woke. Like I'm not even remotely close. Yeah. Um, so, so also ensuring that I'm just tapping into learning. You know, like that, like for me, that's really what it is. Tapping into learning, being able to use the privileges that I know I have, whether that's monetarily or access to resources to like continue to pay it forward. And, and also, you know, kicking off conversation. Like, did y'all know? Was I the only one who didn't know about, you know, insert the blank? Um, and being unafraid to ask whether it's colleagues or friends, you know, in my personal life, ask the questions about things that I genuinely don't know um, for fear of getting it wrong. I think that sometimes is where we trip up when we think about, at least for me, when I think about like, whether it's IND work or, you know, get, doubling down on learning like the true history of, you know, whether it's your parents' home country or things in the U.S., whatever that looks like. There's this, for me, sometimes there's this fear of like, oh crap, that would mean I'd have to admit that I never knew it. And so that feels like a failure on my part that I, that at 33 years old, I didn't know X. Um, but I think that's, that's the beauty is that there's an opportunity, there's never going to be an expiration date on your opportunity to learn. And so leaning into it that way um, has helped me a lot. So well said and so true. Um, I feel like I and D will have to be a whole nother episode for us. <laughs> the layers we could talk about that for days (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for being on today's episode of the label me podcast lots of love to you and tell everyone please here where they can follow tia chronicles and you and just continue looking through the lens of social to follow your journey thank you for creating this, kicking this off. I know as your personal friend, the journey that you've gone through with this. And so oh, I'm so excited you. that you're bringing it to life. I'm really proud of you. Um, and of course, thank you for thinking of me to be uh, on the podcast. Folks can follow me uh, at Cynthia Chronicles um, on Instagram. It's, you know, my baby. Um, over time, who knows, maybe we'll get on YouTube, maybe we'll do a little Twitter, but for now that's the main page. Um, and really I want to hear from like all, all the Thea's, right? And from folks who have been heavily influenced by the aunts in their life. Um, Cause it really truly is uh, with all the, you know, like comedic undertones, all the, did you know things, um, all the uncomfortable topics sometimes that come up on the page. Um, it really is a love letter to the women in our lives who were like our second moms or our big sisters or like, you know, just influential in a way that I think is so special and unique that you can't, you tr- like being a Thea and having aunts is like, it, it's, it's an unmatched, like I, I always say, it's I always gift. do hashtag, like it's truly a gift. And I always say 
Tia life is the best life because you it's it's just such a special bond that you have with the kids in, in your tribe and in your community um, that you, you sometimes, I, I would encourage everyone to step back and think about how influential they're being in the kids that they have in their respective life, whether it's chosen family or blood family, because none of that for me personally matters. And yeah, and just and just being just being dope. Yes, more to come on the Tia Chronicles. Follow along. <laughs> it's gonna be epic. Thank you so much again, Jess. Love you much. Should we do your classic you. bye? Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>